February 22nd of 2023, actor Mark Wahlberg made a TV appearance on the NBC morning news show Today. And that particular day, last year, was Ash Wednesday. And uh, Mark Wahlberg was there to promote a prayer app and to actually talk a little bit about Lent. And so marked with the ashes of Lent on his forehead, he talked about fasting and he talked about some other aspects specifically of Lent. However, curiously and hilariously in what has literally become a meme now, the marquee at the bottom of the screen, instead of making any mention of Lent, proclaimed Mark Wahlberg's 40-day challenge. (laughs) And as can be expected, the different sort of Christian quadrants of the internet, they had pretty much a field day with this one. There was actually a popular um, Christian comedy Twitter account called J.R.R. Jokin uh, that said, happy Mark Wahlberg's 40-day challenge to all who observe. And then this is one of my personal favorites. Someone wrote, imagining how my grandmother, who prayed the rosary every night, would have responded to me calling Lent Mark Wahlberg's 40-day challenge. I don't think she would have had the strength to cave in my head with a skillet, but she might have tried. So it seems that regardless of Mark Wahlberg's attempt to share Lent with the culture, there was still a disconnect somewhere. The connection with any sort of extended time of struggle or challenge or even discomfort, it seemed to be more aligned with trying to see how many Tide Pods you could fit in your mouth more than it is about God. And now as we are here on the first Sunday of Lent in this year, we have a journey ahead of us. For the next 40 days, we will be called to a season of repentance, fasting, prayer, and almsgiving. And although this can be a challenging time, this time is far from a challenge in the way that we heard it defined by NBC News. Lent is not a form of self-punishment, nor is it intended to be even a badge of honor in the way that some challenging endeavors are. When people complete a marathon or they climb a mountain, maybe they get a certification or a school degree, there is a sense of pride in that. But it does say, look at what I did. It can sometimes smack of doing sort of a flex. We're saying that we have done something under our own steam. Especially in our culture, mastery of self and surroundings is an all too prevalent surge in the tide of our culture. But Lent is, in pretty much every way, the polar opposite of those things. It's about acknowledging and owning our weaknesses and sin. It's about surrendering ourselves to God's plan for us and how we live and how we operate in the world. But I do think a big question, and this is something that when I was growing up was never really talked about, is the why. Why do we do Lent? Especially if it's a challenge. So as I said, you know, growing up... um, the why was not really ever explained. It was not really very well defined to me, to be honest. I just knew that each year there was this season of time that seemed to last about a month where Christians would stick it to big chocolate by not eating the devil's cocoa bean for, you know, 30 or 40 days. 
Uh, some people would even do things like, I'm going to give up swearing for Lent, <laughs> or I'm going to give up eating junk food. But then, of course, you know, at the end of the 40 days, there was kind of this unspoken okay thumbs up that you could just kind of go right back to doing what you were doing before. But the why, like, why are we doing this? Was it because we wanted to be good people? Or maybe just to say that we did it, to kind of have that sort of, that, that mark and there is definitely, you know, I think an understanding, or there was, and, and it was made clear that there is a spiritual benefit to praying and fasting, to almsgiving, and to setting aside sort of a season of time for this each year, you know. I think that's a good thing. But the issue of why was never talked about. So in the early part of the 20th century, there was um, a really profound and really amazing English writer and philosopher. His name was G.K. Chesterton. And amongst literally probably everything, he also wrote about faith. He wrote quite a bit about faith. And being sort of a thinker and philosopher, you'd actually think that he was kind of a dour and maybe stoic kind of person, but that was actually completely the opposite. He was actually known for being very joyful and sort of lighthearted. In fact, there's a very famous story. So he was around at the beginning of the century. Uh, during World War I, he was walking down the street. He's a six-foot-four tall man. He was nearly 300 pounds. He was, he was a large guy. And <laughs> he gets accosted on the street by this woman. And she says, why, sir, why aren't you out on the fronts of World War I fighting? And he said, madam, if you see me, you'll know that I already am out in front. So he was actually a really sort of humble and sort of whimsical guy. And he had this advice to give when it came to faith. He said, let your religion be less of a theory and more of a love affair. And in that quote, I think we actually have the why, a great why to Lent. We should move past and strive to move past just the theory of Lent as something that's dry or just a challenge and instead craft it to be about our love for God. Jesus says that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And in that way, when we engage in something like fasting and use it to refocus our attention towards God, we are loving God with all our strength. When we intentionally set aside seasons of prayer, we are loving God with our mind and our soul. And when we give or we engage in charity and almsgiving, we are loving God with our heart. There is also another element to Lent that coincides with love perfectly, and that is sacrifice. I'm instantly drawn to reflect on the fact that at least, you know, regular prayer is a massive sacrifice for us here in the Silicon Valley culture because we're obsessed with efficiency. And this leads to us being misers with our time. It's, it's often seen as our, one of our greatest commodities, and so we, we hold it with kind of a white-knuckle grip. We've, we've heard the phrase, time is money, but that is well alive in the, the Silicon Valley. In fact, it's actually laudable, it's even encouraged to sidestep any form of sacrifice, especially if that be for comfort, or if something interrupts our own plans and our expectations and rhythms. However, all throughout Scripture, we see this countercultural illustration of sacrificial love. In John 15, 13, Jesus declares, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And the Apostle Paul, he further elaborates on this idea in Ephesians 
chapter 5, verse 2. He's urging believers to walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Paul calls sacrifice the way of love. And just as Christ gave up himself in love to us, we can in turn give up in the grand scheme of things, minor things like food or drink or money or our time to express our love to God. Those things are cosmically inconsequential by comparison to the act of love that Christ enacted on the cross for us. And I think the uncomfortable truth for us today is that the road to the cross is paved in Lent. But to kind of elaborate on this idea of loving God, when we orient ourselves to act from a place of love towards God, we're also engaging in joy. Joy is, uh, I think, often made to sound synonymous with being happy, but I don't actually think that that's true. I think happiness can better be defined as something that is a little bit more transient, a little bit more fleeting. It's a thing that can be based on mood. It can be based on sort of the blowing of the wind. But joy, however, is about making very intentional choices and how we choose to engage with the world around us. It's about an inward-out transformation that is activated by the Holy Spirit. And we see that fulfilled by the work of Christ in us. Because we can take joy in the things we know to be true. We can take joy in the resurrection. We can take joy in the grace that God gives us. We can even take joy in seeing those realities in other people's lives as well. And in fact, In that same vein, Lent is actually sometimes called the season of bright sadness. There's a tension in the season of Lent between joy of the coming truth and the reality of the resurrection that we experience on Eastertide, on Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, and then the repentance and the penitential nature of Lent. And it sounds counterintuitive, but we can actually engage in joy even in a penitential season like Lent. And like many things in the kingdom of God, there is this expectation that gets flipped upside down. We are actually asked to loose control so that God can have all of it. So I encourage us all to think about how we can love God this Lent with how we are praying and how we're eating and giving and looking inward. And the great tradition of Christian worship tells us that our bodies, the tools we use, our liturgies, the words we speak, the food we eat, all of those things matter. They make an impact. For so long, we've been living in this post-enlightenment mindset that tells us that all that really matters is what we think or the things that go on inside our heads. But that is just half the story. What we do matters too, and this is a beautiful thing when you think about it because we can love God by how we eat. We can love God by how we give. We can love God by being intentional with our time. And I can think of no better reason to do these things than because we love God. If you've never really pressed into Lent before, or you've been intimidated by it, don't miss this amazing opportunity that we have to walk a beautiful path of love this season. And like many important things, it will take time and it's going to take baby steps. It's frankly better, I think, to move an inch than to stand in place and not move at all. So I would encourage us to take advantage of what our congregational life has to offer in our Lenten small groups 
Those are amazing ways to enter into that story of Lent for the first time or maybe after having been away from the season of Lent for a season. When we'd love to journey with you. That is, we talked about this in our catechesis class this morning that we're doing Lent together and that's an important and powerful thing. So I'm gonna end uh, our time or my time with just a reference back to one of the, our readings for this Sunday. And the Psalms are an amazing treasure for us as we navigate all that life throws our way. If there is ever a part of Scripture that I think resonates with this theme of bright sadness, I'd I'd actually say it would be the Psalms. So may this be an encouragement for you as you continue or as you begin your Lenten devotion. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Remember, Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you, Lord, are good. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful toward those who keep the demands of his covenant.